you know, I think it's really good to um, just be sensitive to what the Spirit's nudging because who knows what miracles were just unleashed. Amen? Amen? So, you know, I, I, I really love that last song we were singing, you know, Glory in the Highest. And, um, you know, I don't sing all that well. And it's really hard for me at the end of that song to get quieter and quieter because what I want to do is do a lung buster. But if I do, it'll, do, it'll become an ear buster for you. But also... Where's Chad? Man, that was wonderful. Um, having that, uh, there he is. Thank you. <laughs> Terrific. <laughs> uh, nice, nice uh, added sound. And um, worship team just sounds terrific. Proud of the whole, the whole group. Way to go. Yes, yes. Amen. Amen. So what's the difference between a violin and a fiddle? That was a fiddle or a violin today? A little bit, huh? Yeah, it was great. I loved it. So, um, that women's Bible study, ladies, um, listen, I've already heard people that are getting ready to go to it that haven't, that didn't go the last time. You've got, I think, a week and a half. You should sign up, not just because it's the book of Proverbs, which you know I love, right? But because of what happens in the relationships between the ladies, I just, um, um, just encourage you to get involved just because the relationships are really, really healthy and good for you. So, um, I'm wondering if I have any little ones here who haven't given me a memory verse before and they're ready to today. Come on, somebody's going to be brave. Who's got a memory verse? Oh, here comes one. Whoops. Come on up here. <laughs> Let me help you up here. What's your name, little guy? You tell us your name. I'll hold on to you there. Is that okay? I'll hold this for you. What's your name? Gable. Okay. T- tell us your memory verse. Does Jesus love you? Yeah. Okay, that's good enough for today. All right. Okay. <laughs> we got a reward for you anyway. Okay, kids, time to go. <laughs> kids can go. We love our kids. How many people remember who Art Linkletter was? Yeah? You don't have any idea what's going to happen when you um, put a little one up at front. <laughs> I'm, um, bye, guys. See you later. Must be spring break. So I am so blessed by um, your generosity, church. I just really, really blessed. Last week, we received a special offering to send to Japan, and you gave uh, just about $2,900. And uh, I just was so blessed by that. Way to go. Yeah, way to go. That's uh, so significant, and um, I'm just really, really proud of you. Also, on the last... Uh, the last Wednesday of our women's Bible study, they were studying Esther. And um, I showed you this last week. It's a picture of Lisa's office in the corner with all these groceries piled up. And the intention was that um, the the book of Esther talks about uh, Queen Esther's role and the Lord's role in really saving the whole nation from destruction. And... um, so the, uh, the, the Hebrew tradition is they have, a, they have a festival called the Festival of Lots or Purim. And um, the, the tradition there is that you, you give food to needy people. So you give food to one needy person and you, you, you actually give two food items to a person and you give 
food to two different needy people. That's the tradition that you do. It's called a mitzvah. It's a good thing you do. It's a commandment. It's a good thing. And so on the last day that the women gathered, they all just, they just brought groceries. They just brought groceries. And that's the pile. So this week, um, Lisa spent a couple of days sorting it all out. And it was piled all over the fellowship room in the tables and then reassembling it into bags of what I would call, I guess, a care package. In fact, I got one here, right? Chips. Big old heavy package full of stuff here. Um, So these bags have, um, I don't probably... 25 or 30 pounds full of non-perishables. It's full of, you know, veggies and fruits and proteins and grains and all the good stuff for you. And um, she put together, and I think what it came to is about 15 or so of these big, heavy care packages, which I think would be enough food for probably a small family to feed them for a couple of days at least. And here's what we want to do with them. We want to involve you in this. Um, They're assembled, and there's a, a, a letter that just basically says we care about you to whoever receives it, just as we care about you. And um, although it was the women in the Bible study who gathered, gathered the food, the church took the credit for it, so thanks to the women. Um, <laughs> and um, which, you know, the women are as much part of the church. And so, so there's a letter on them as well. You probably either know someone who really needs some help, or maybe you need some help. And so the packages, here's how I'd like to go about this. After church... If that's you, you know someone who could use the help, go get one and give it to them. The, 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 there, there's In the little rooms on the other side of the hallway here, there are a couple of tables set up, and they're just sitting there. There's nobody in there supervising it. There's no, but they're already put together. Each, each bag is a package to give to a family or for a family in need. So just go get one, put it in your car, take it home with you. Here's what I would ask of you, though. This is, this is not for something like three weeks from now. Do it. Get it out of your hands within 24 hours. And when you give it to them, just say, hey, just was thinking about you. I feel like the Holy Spirit puts you on my heart, and we just want to help you. Here, this is a gift. There's no strings attached. Make sure there are no strings attached. It's just a love gift, and you give it to them. And listen, as you go out to the parking lot, if you see somebody walking out with one, don't make any assumptions, church, that they've taken it for themselves because it's perfectly right and appropriate. If you have need, go get one. That's what they're for. They're for you. And they're for people you know about. So if you see somebody who's strong enough to carry two of them, just assume they've got a great big heart and the Lord gave them a bigger list than the Lord gave you, okay? I think there's 15 of them in there. Um, and once the 15 are gone, then, they're, then that's great. Okay, so it's uh, the honor system. If the Holy Spirit has told you to do something, then, then do the thing and honor the Holy Spirit and go do it, okay? So they're in the next room. And uh, okay, so... I can't believe Proverbs 3. Today's the third, so we get in Proverbs 3. And how perfect was it to get this particular proverb, the chance for me to stick this one up there, because it so goes with our series, um, which isn't random chance. I think it's the Holy Spirit. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. If you, we've been in a series. Today is going to wrap up our series on knowing the Lord's will for your life and what do you think the chances are that that would be the last day's proverb? I think it's perfect. The Holy Spirit's at work. This whole series has been about uh, inviting you to pray a very simple prayer. Lord, tell me your will for my life. What do you want me to do and to be? And uh, if you haven't been here before, um, you can get caught up if, it's, if it interests you, and I hope it does. Just go to our website. The, the, the messages are all there. They're free. You can listen to them online or download them. It's easy. 
um, and that'll get you caught up. But we've been talking about the process about how to hear from God and the role of Scripture in that and the role of the people around you. Last week, we spent a lot of time talking about the concept that the people that you listen to are a preview of the future you. The people you listen to are a preview of the future you. Some, to some people, the idea of asking God, show me your will for my life is a little bit foreign because you know, a lot of us might say, well, you know what? That sounds really grand. It's too bad I'm not 12 because it's a little bit, I'm a little bit advanced in years. It's a little bit too late for me. You know, I got too much stuff in my background. I wish I would have heard this when I was 18 or 19, or I wish I would have heard it 5 or 10 or 15 or 25 years ago. You know, or, or some of you would say, you know, I, I can't really look at God with moral integrity and ask him to do that now because of all the stuff back there. I want to talk to you today if that's what you're thinking. Or, you know, if you say I'm way too old, it's past halftime, and the productive my, years of my life are already behind me, and I've been divorced a couple of times, and I've made my career decisions already, and if God heard that from me, he'd just laugh at me. If that's you, I'm going to talk to you too. Um, because you might be dealing with, I think, something that's a fallacy that all of us deal with occasionally or maybe a lot. Is, and that is that we tend to think that God thinks about us the way we think about us. So if I was to ask you, what does God think about you today? You'd go, well, okay. I'm doing pretty good. I'm in church today and I've been doing pretty good. I haven't kicked my dog for a while. I think God's pretty much okay with me, so I think he'd probably make, I'd say I'm a six or a seven out of ten with God right now. You might say pretty good. Or maybe this is your first time to be in church for a really long time, and you've kicked your dog some, and so you'd say, well, I'm going to have to de- deduct some points for that, and I might only be a three or a four with God right now. You know, I mean, there, there, there are these things that we would calculate because we really believe that God takes his cues about us from us. It sounds pretty absurd, but the way we operate and live our lives and a lot of the assessments that we make are based on that premise. So I just want to ask you, what if that's not true? You know, there's this um, wonderful passage um, in a couple of the Gospels, but we've heard of it called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, basically, he climbed up on a hilltop and told his disciples to come to him, and off he goes on this discourse, and it covers a lot of terrific stuff. Great, great deal. Partway through it, he decides to teach his disciples how to pray. And he started out that prayer. You probably have heard the Lord's Prayer before. It starts out with, help, our Father. Say those words, our Father. Yeah. You know, Father, um, the word Father gets used a lot of different ways in the, in the Scripture. Even in our, in our, in our society, it can, mean, it can mean like somebody who's a real remote ancestor of yours, the, or it can re- mean, um, you know, the metaphor, metaphor for an older man, or we can use it sometimes as a metaphor like the person who's the originator of something. Like, we do that all the time, like the father, the father, fathers of uh, our founding fathers, or the father of our nation is George Washington, you with me? Who's the father of George Washington? The father of the hydrogen bomb, Edward Teller. The father of drag racing, Big Daddy Don Garlitz. You knew that one, right? You didn't know that Big Daddy Don Garlitz was the father? 
So we use that kind of a word, father, but then there's also the, um, the title, the word describes a, a title that's not just so much biological as it is spiritual. And that is, it, it, it typically, in this context, it's the immediate biological preceding ancestor who guides you and shapes you and loves you and cares for you and protects you and provides for you and so forth. It's the most intimate of the father uses of the word father. I think it's the highest office, spiritual office, for um, the word father is that relationship. When Jesus said to them, it taught them how to pray. He didn't just say, hey, pray like this. He preceded that, that discourse of the Lord's Prayer, and he said, when you pray, don't stand on the street corners like the hypocrites do and pray out loud so that all the other people around them can hear it. And don't, don't pray like the heathens do, and that is a list of prayer that's written down and it's repeated and it's just said endless, endless words which basically were for themselves to hear. Instead, go home. Now I'm paraphrasing here. Go home, turn off everything around you, get into your closet, get alone, get quiet, alone with the Lord. Get alone with God the Father and talk to him. Just talk to the Father, just you and him alone and pray, our Father who art in him. And he basically was saying, get to a level and a place of intimacy with the Father that's not out for the public and it's not this rote list of religious sayings. It's a relationship. He was describing something that really this is the first time really in depth in this whole book. Jesus was introducing a level of intimacy between the created and the creator that was beyond concept. Remember, these people at this point had, had gone through years of having tabernacles and temples, and there was an area you dare not go unless you had perfect sinless <laughs> in your veins. I mean, there was, there was just unapproachability. But Jesus is saying, oh, forget all that. No, not, a, not to abolish it. But your heavenly Father wants something way different than what you think he wants. And he thinks way differently. So Jesus introduces something. So I ask you the question again, what if Jesus was right? What if God sees us as his children? Now, if you're a parent, you get where I'm going with this. You probably can get this. I mean, I think sometimes we think about God, we think about, I, I couldn't think of a good analogy, so if this kind of derails you, forgive me for this, but I, kinda, I think we think sometimes this distant head of state who stands on a podium amongst the, you know, or it's like the, the state of the union. It's so many people watch it that you can't get them all into the House of Representatives. So we watch it on TV and it's like the president and he's got a teleprompter and he's talking to this faceless mass. I mean, that's what we think God is. But Jesus said, no. He's the one that when you clear out and nobody else is around you, he sits down with you and you talk. You just talk like this. Hey, Dad, you're in heaven and I love you. And on he goes. When you think about your children, you don't think about their past. You don't focus. You're not concerned so much about that stuff. What you're always doing as a parent is you're looking like that. You're looking forward. So 
I, I want to ask some just what if questions, some rhetorical questions. I don't mean to come across as snide, but I guess this could be, but I'm not. I just So if I say I'm not snide, then I actually am. It doesn't really change things. I'm still being snide, I suppose. But that's not what I'm trying to do here. I just want to ask some what if questions. <laughs> what if God is like that? What, what if Jesus was right? What if his viewpoint about you and me is more like that of a father who's thinking about your potential instead of your failures? What if he does not adopt your view of you? He thinks on completely different terms. What if when you pray, God, show me your plan, what you experience is the Heavenly Father coming up and putting his arm around your shoulder and saying, okay, come on, I'll show you. And every time you start to turn your head and look backwards, he goes, uh, 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 uh. no, 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 Terry. Let's look this way. We're going there. That's where we're going to head. What if that's the way things are in heaven and if your age doesn't matter, and if your past doesn't matter, and if your baggage doesn't matter, although it matters to you, and he cares about those things, but what if those things don't matter to him about his plans for your tomorrows? What if all your sin and all your mistakes and all of those kinds of things that have piled up and stopped you from moving forward, what if you're wrong about all that stuff? Can I have a drink of water? I have to keep fully full so I can spit into the third row. <sighs> <laughs> Next time you'll sit in the fourth row. That's better. Oh, what if God doesn't take his cue about you from you? You know, <laughs> you know that's a game-changing concept. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around it because we think about us the way we think about us. It's what we do. And we want to believe the best about us, but we know the truth about us. But, you know, for every person who's ever gotten baptized... I think for the, you know, for the most part, when you get baptized and you, if you're taught properly why you're doing it and you choose it and you elect to do it because you understand what's going on, this is exactly what I'm talking about. You're going, wow, I, I have all this in my background, but the Lord has just kind of washed that off of me and I'm headed that way. That's what's going on in the water of the baptism. It's one of many things that go on in the water of baptism. You know I mean, when, when you first got saved, do you remember? You felt released. It was like untether. Let go. I get to move forward now. Now, you know, opening your heart to the Lord and getting saved doesn't completely erase your flesh, right? You take your flesh into the future, future with you. But you remember those feelings of feeling detached from all that stuff? Did you forget that? Did you forget? <laughs> I mean, I forget it sometimes. I forget it. And I feel like I have to kind of grab the chain of that and trudge and pull it with me or just wrap it around my waist so I don't have to use my hands, but I keep, you know, pulling it with me. Well, um, let's take a look at the Word of God. I, I think that's a good idea. We're going to be in, uh, in 1 Samuel today, and we're going to talk a little bit about um, David, who's one of my favorites. 1 Samuel um, um, 16, which, by the way, is if you, you know, did you know this? If your Bible, you know, except for all your commentary and stuff, and you're in the, about in the middle of the Bible is, is uh, Psalms or so, and about a fourth of the way into the Bible is Samuel. So if that helps you. Great. First Samuel 16. Here's the background of what's going to go on here. Um, king Saul um, is the king at this point, and he hasn't done all of the things that um, God has kind of said, hey, we, here's, where, here's how I want you to lead. Here's what your tomorrows are. He hasn't done those things. And finally, it gets to the point where the Lord says, okay, I'm picking a new king. And um, 
So he goes to um, this prophet, and um, his name is Samuel, hence the name of the book. So he goes to this prophet and says, come on, we're going to go get ourselves a new king, and I'm going to show you who it'll be. Go see this family. So, he, so Samuel heads off to see and talks to the patriarch, the father of this, this family. His name is Jesse. He says, hey, today's a pretty big ban- red banner day for your family. Big deal. A lot of good stuff going on. Um, we're going to do some pretty cool stuff. But listen, I wouldn't talk about this a lot because King, King Saul is not going to be too happy with what's going on here. So, okay, so he's about to s- select. So he gets the, the sons in front of him. And now Samuel is going to figure out and listen to the Lord which one of these is supposed to be king. Chapter 16, verse 6, starting at 6. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. First guy off the list, firstborn, this is, look at him. This is king material. This has got to be the one. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the, the height of his stature because I've refused him. That doesn't mean that he rejected him. It just means he's not chosen him to be the king. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, it's like, it's like Samuel gets in there and he sees the boys all lined up and sees the firstborn, Eliab. Eliab I'm not sure how you say it. I should have studied that better. And he goes, wow. If anyone was king material, this guy's it. The rest of you can just sit on down because I think we're done. And the Lord says to him, hold up. That's not what I'm telling you. You know, you look right on the outside, Samuel. That's not how I operate at all. What you do is what people do. I don't operate that way. God does not take his cue about you from you. He just doesn't. Your cue about yourself has nothing to do with how God sees you. And when you superimpose that understanding on Scripture, a whole lot of stuff here that might not make sense to you all of a sudden will go, oh, if I understand this through God's eyes instead of through human eyes, I can start to see here some, some stuff going on. I'll give you some examples. Abraham. Abram, Abraham, God says, I'm going to use you to, um, to be the father, oh, father, father figure, a father of a nation. Okay, Abraham, Sarah, both past childbearing age. When the Lord finally made that miracle happen, I'm really short-circuiting a lot of the story here. He was 99 years old. Anybody here 99 want to start your child, your, uh, your family? <laughs> You know, we would look at that and go, not only is it unwise, it's completely impossible. And God says, ah, you think it's impossible? But you have, you have no idea how I see things. You don't know what I'm capable of. You don't know what my plans are going to be. He was saying, I'm way too old. My life is behind me. My time for being productive. All of the stuff that blah, 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 all the stuff that goes thrown up in the air that we say to God, he was saying the same stuff. I'm sure of it. It's not recorded in Scripture, but I bet he was. He had faith, but I'll bet, I'll bet you that kind of stuff was going on. Anyway, how, here's another one. Moses, chosen by God to go speak to Pharaoh to say, let my people, come on, let my people go, all right? Now, if you read Scripture, you'll find out that Moses says, you know, don't send me. I stutter. He couldn't speak well. He literally had a problem. He would have been perfectly cast for that movie, The King's Speech. You know what I'm talking about? That's what his deal was. So Moses, you're going to send me to talk to the most powerful, influential power broker of the world? And I, 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 I can't get, 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 I mean, I'm not making fun of him. That's, that's what he's thinking. How effective will that be? 
And God says, yeah, perfect. Wait till you see what we do. If you had any idea what a cool movie that would have made, you know, I mean, what a, what a great idea. Or Paul the Apostle, a more current example. Paul the Apostle, whose mission in life became to stamp out the church, to kill the Christians, the ones that were, that were sp- trying to spread the good news. He became, his mission was to kill Christians, to, to close off the church. None of the early church fathers would have said, Oh, this Paul, he's got fire in his belly. Let's get him to be the voice to the, to the Gentiles to share the good news. None of them would have picked Paul. Yet most of the New Testament was written by the guy. God says, there's my man. God does not see you as you see you. He doesn't see your potential as you see your potential. And the very thing that you think is the biggest obstacle in your life maybe the thing he decides to use. Matthew, here's another one. Matthew was a tax collector, which was a, typically a dishonest guy in those days. They kind of fleeced the people. He got to write one of the Gospels. That's pretty cool. There were all kinds of people, you know, the fishermen, people that didn't get along. It just didn't make sense. You know, maybe you at some point are walking with some level of hurt in your heart because somebody in the church has judged you. I've been judged. I've been judged a lot. You stand in front of people, you get judged a lot. It hurts. You know, you've been judged. It doesn't hurt you any less than it hurts me. You've been judged. And if you've been in churches for a while, you've had people just size you up because of what they see. They don't know your heart. They don't know your pain. They don't know your circumstances. And they judge you. And you feel, you know, some of you feel that way. But look, there are very, very few good people in here. I mean, really very few. Mary, a couple of Josephs. You know, there's not a lot of good people in here. Most of the people in here were addicted to something or they were running around with something or they were having daughters by someone's concubine or they were doing... I mean, most of the people in here had all kinds of failures and foibles just like us. They were just like us. And God says, just tell me that you're willing to follow my will and you'll see what we'll do together in spite of your fill in your blank here. In spite of that. To Samuel, he says, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That, that tells me something. It tells me that, that the things that you did yesterday are far less important to the Lord than where your heart is today. I mean, that is a huge biblical theme all throughout the Word of God. Huge biblical theme. God restores, He redeems over and over and over again, recognizing that, you know, we have sin, He redeems it. We, we, we create some sort of relational or financial or emotional or spiritual debt, He redeems it, He repays it over and over and over. He restores and He restores so when you look with regret and God looks at your heart and says, let's talk about today. Let's, let's look forward. God does not see as a man sees. You know, and for some of you, you think that this, this biggest obstacle that you have, you think that that obstacle is going to completely short-circuit your God-show-me prayer. But 
What I want to say to you is that obstacle could be the very biggest thing that he's going to use. There's lots of examples of that, and they're, and they're present in this room right now. I mean, I would never expose anybody and, and, or judge, judge about this, but I can tell you right now there are people in this room whose broken relationships have become a powerhouse, spiritual powerhouse in the Lord. Something that broke in the past, some failure in the past, an insensitive in the past, a hypersensitivity in the past, a addiction in the past that are present in this room. There's lots of them. Listen, I've only been the pastor here for half a year, and I know there's lots of them. And hey, there's lots of them just because I came in the room. There's lots of them. <laughs> and you brought yours in too. The, the, the number of places where the Lord has taken huge areas of personal failure and said, you know what, I'm going to use that. There's a scripture I love. It's in Genesis. Um, um, Genesis 50, 20. Joseph says to his brothers, you know, you meant this for evil, but God will use it for good. It's, it's a great theme. Because your estimation of you does not rela- reflect God's es- estimation of you. The reflections of your heart at any given moment are more important than what's going on in your past. Last week's proverb, this issue about reflections, as I, as I was putting these notes down, I started thinking about it, so I'm going to show you last week's proverb again. As a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. Anyway, so let's get back to Samuel. Pick up again in verse 8. We can finish our story here. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, Well, there remains the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send him, bring him, for we will not sit down. Everybody keep standing till he comes here. So he sent him and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking and the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is the one. You know, the family members are probably going, it's not going to be Daniel or David. It's not going to be him. He, he, he's, we didn't even invite him. Have you seen him? If you've taken one look at him, you'd know David's not going to be the king. The whole family, they didn't even invite him to the party. But Samuel says, we're not going to sit down until he comes. Arise and anoint him. And from that day forward, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. And that whole family was confused, <laughs> just like we get, because they look on the outside. They're just like, they were just like us. They really believe that God takes his cues about us from us. So they all learned, just like we're learning, that God views us differently than we think. Um, I love a scripture in Jeremiah. It's verse 29, 11. You've heard it. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you not about your past. About a future and a hope. This, uh, this, the issues involved here are not your talent. They're not your past, your age, your sin, all your stuff. Those are not the issues here. It's what's going on in your heart. He sees what you and he together are capable of and he thinks in those terms. You know, it's a heart like how Abram finally started thinking and how Moses finally started thinking, how David started finally thinking and Mary and both the Josephs and Paul and Peter and Matthew and they all finally at one point come to the place where they say, I want to know your will because I'm finally, I'm finally ready now to do your, your will, God. 
your heavenly father doesn't see you as you see yourself, but he sees you as a perfect, intimate, loving child. And he sees all of this potential. He sees all of these plans. He sees all of this fruit, all of this blessing. That's what he sees when he looks at you and me. And, you know, you might want to say, well, you know, Terry, okay, that sounds pretty good, but if you knew all the sort of, sort of details, you know, if you knew about my failures in my past, you know, God could never use me now. There's no way in the world that the Lord could think that way about me. Here, But here's how I know about this. Because 2,000 years ago, God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he decided that you were worth the investment to send his son to die on a cross to pay for your sins, to pay for your debt, a purchase of love, to pay for your mistakes, so that all of these things that we want to throw up in front of him and say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, (laughs) so that all of those things in the very moment that he dies on the cross for your sins, which you hadn't even committed yet. Your sins became so much less important to God than the current condition of your heart. And the moment you say to God, I'm ready, he's ready. He says, I'll redeem it, I'll restore it, I'll restore you because I love you and I have a plan for your life, but I need to be invited. I need to be invited, so ask me. So church, you know, I'm encouraging you as we wrap up this series, I'm encouraging you to say, God, show me your will for my life, to pray the prayer because he'll answer that. Pray, Lord, show me your will for my business, for my kids, for my friendships, for my future, for all that stuff. And um, it's, I'm just to tell you, it, at the conclusion of this series, it's a life-changing prayer if you'll pray it with conviction. Um, I've asked the worship team to be prepared to sing a song, and we're ready for that now. And um, this was a pretty um, short-fused request on my part. Bless their hearts. It was a new song to them. And, and uh, the in- issue here is, the intention here is I'm not asking you to sing along. You might, need, you might know this song. Um, you might not. It's pretty new, relatively new. But I'm asking you to, instead of singing along with them, to just, when they start singing, to close your eyes and let the Holy Spirit just wash upon you some things. Um, there's, a, there's a phrase that comes in here. It says, take my life, I lay it down at the cross where I am found. And that's the critical point to transition, the cross. Because you and I have no capability to create the conditions I'm describing. They were 100% created at the cross. And um, so I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit who's speaking to people now and just be listening and ministered to. Close your eyes, please.